Welcome to Zero to CEO, where seasoned entrepreneurs will teach you how to succeed. I'm your host, Jason Sherman. In today's episode of Zero to CEO, I speak to linguistic anthropologist and CEO, Jill Bishop. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jason. Happy to be here. Linguistic anthropologist. I can't wait to hear more about that. <laughs> and um, and it's going to be uh, good because we're going to talk about how to connect with a global audience, a multilingual audience. Um, first of all, what does a linguistic anthropologist do? You are not the first person to ask that question. Uh, not a lot of kids grow up wanting to be linguistic anthropologists. I didn't even know it existed as a career field until uh, I was out of college. Um, but linguistic anthropology looks at the intersection of language and culture. So whereas linguistics looks at the language typically in isolation of the speakers, this looks at how people use language and what they do with language. And so I'd always been fascinated with with various languages and switching between languages and why people pass languages on to their children or didn't. So this allowed me that opportunity to explore further in that study. That's interesting because like I know a lot of people who grew up in, for example, families uh, in Texas where they their their um, grandparents were Mexican, their parents were first generation American, but they're still Mexican, but they never spoke Mexican. And so the the, the people that I know, their 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 kids, they don't speak Spanish. Spanish. And, yeah. and I'm like, but you, you, you look Mexican, you are Mexican, you know, why don't you, and they're like, well, because we didn't learn. And I'm like, so I never understood that. Mm -hmm. Is there a reason why, uh, families don't pass languages down to? Yeah. I mean, it happens all the time across immigrant groups in the U.S. and around the world where there is a desire for the on the part of the parents for the kids to have every opportunity to not be held back, to become Americans or to become the the culture and the and the nationality of the new country. And sometimes they view their their native language as um, something that will hold them back or something to be ashamed of. Certainly, my great grandparents, when they came over from Poland, they spoke Yiddish, um, but they didn't want their kids speaking Yiddish. And so that kind of passed down. So um, my grandparents actually spoke both, but they never dreamed of teaching my my parents um, Yiddish. There were words right. around in the house culturally, but it wasn't a language of communication because the kids were Americans. Oy vey. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, but this topic, right, how to connect with a global audience, doesn't having an extra language help you with your marketing? Like, like for example, I speak Spanish. I'm sure you speak a million languages from just based on your title, right? Um, so isn't it good? I mean, I find Spanish helps me out a lot in, in the world because there are so many Spanish speaking people. So connecting with a global audience, let's talk about how the role of language in creating connections with your audience. How, how does that help? Absolutely. Well, I do need to set the record straight and I do not indeed speak a million languages. Um, you have to speak more than one, I'm guessing. <laughs> I speak Spanish and Hebrew, but not at translation level. Um, okay. And so I've got translators all around the world. We work in about 75 different languages and multilingual connections. And so we've got translators for native languages, regions, industry expertise. So it takes a lot okay. to become a professional translator. Um, but language, absolutely. I mean, like you can't understand somebody in their culture without understanding their language. And so if you don't have those internal skills, you need somebody that can help you, whether it's a translation agency, a multilingual marketing company, someone who can help broker between different cultures and help you understand the right approach. Um, not everything is going to apply internationally um, from a product, from a service, from a marketing perspective, and certainly from a language perspective. Um, so the more that you're able to connect with people in their language, the more you're going to understand them and hear their voices and allow you to express your voice and your brand. 
And, and culturally too. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was just reading an article, uh, recently in Time Magazine about how Hollywood has had to shift the way they create movies and how they differ from American audiences to European and Asian audiences. Um, there are some stigmas here, some stigmas there and, and navigating those waters. And a lot of it has to do with language and how you perceive people. So how do you navigate running a business, uh, in, in these different climates in different countries and different cultures. I mean, it's got to be really hard to do. It, it is. And it's really exciting at the same time. And so we're based in the Chicago area in Evanston, Illinois. Uh, and we only have nine employees now here. Uh, and then of the 28, the rest are a few of them are in U.S. states and the rest are global and fully remote. So we have some in Turkey and Egypt, South Korea, Guatemala, Mexico, Peru, wow. Puerto Rico. And so every day when we come to work, we are coming to work from very different um, physical locations, um, different cultural perspectives, different linguistic perspectives, but we all come together as a team to get the work done. And so it's been a process of, um, I mean, there, there are different expectations that employees have from different parts in the world when they show up to work and what that looks like and what you can talk about, how you talk about things with your coworkers and with your boss and how you, for example, ask for a raise and negotiate and, and demonstrate the value of that, where in some cultures that wouldn't be um, second nature. Not that it's necessarily second nature here, but it's certainly not unheard of. You, you, um, mentioned, you mentioned like 10 countries, maybe even more. Yeah. Um, how do you manage all of that? I mean, just managing one cu country, um, I do that with development, but to do that in 10, like how, how does that even work? Yeah, it actually, for us, thankfully, it works more easily than you would expect. And so you know, we've got those 10 countries, but then we've also got thousands of translators and transcriptionists and researchers across the world, too. So you've got that extra layer. But when we um, we didn't have the intention of of being a remote company five or six years ago, um, but somebody applied for a job and he happened to be in Turkey and we looked at his qualifications relative to everybody else's and we thought, well, he sounds better and a little more affordable. So let's go that route. And it just opened our minds to how easy it was. And thankfully, we already have that in place before the pandemic so that when we did have to switch to remote, it really wasn't that um, um, dramatic in terms of the, the different workflows or the different um, procedures that we needed to apply. Um, but we... We are all very connected uh, all the time through through video, through chat, through um, different group activities, different um, departments meeting, different um, different teams coming together. And so managing people, it's about managing the output and not micromanaging the process. And so we know what people are doing by what they're what they're delivering to our clients and what we're hearing from their coworkers and their supervisors. And so we give people the flexibility um, to use our tools and use our systems, but get things done. Um, and we, we judge them based on, on that. And thankfully they've all done a it really works. job. Yeah. yeah. That, so that sounds really like a well-oiled machine. Uh, yeah. I want to, I want to switch gears for a minute between being a native speaker and a translator, because when I was 13, um, I had learned French in school. I spoke Spanish, but I, I decided to learn French. So I was sent to Italy. It's all crazy. Got sent to Italy to be a, a French translator, right? And I found how difficult it was to translate, especially using words that I never used before or didn't know. Um, even with Spanish, like it can get kind of tough because there are a lot of words that I don't use in everyday sure. uh, um, conversations. So what are what are you finding to be the main differences between a native speaker and a translator? 
Yeah. A lot of it is training. Um, some of it is natural ability, um, but you, it's not just about being a native speaker of a language. It's, are you a good writer? Do you understand the context and the ability not just to render the words accurately, but the cultural and the nuance and the style and tone and the intention. Um, very rarely is translation just a one-to-one, you know, input words, output words. And of course, you know, machine translation and AI is, is improving all the time, but, but there still is that human and, and subtle element that the machine doesn't always capture. And so you need to, uh, in, in many cases, it doesn't capture at all when it comes to marketing content, uh, for example. And so, um, so a lot of it is about kind of the natural ability of 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 the linguist or the native speaker, but it's also about years of training. Um, a translator who translates for legal isn't necessarily the one who's going to translate for marketing or for medical. You want to make sure that you have that terminology and that experience so that you're not you're not making stuff up. Right. <laughs> you, know, you know where to go when you don't know. Something that you you know, that kind of brings me to this idea of if you're saying stuff that you don't know, you're making stuff up, you know, people forget that a translator is meant to provide information to somebody on the other end. So yeah. that's important. I mean, if it's, if it's medical, maybe someone is dying or someone has an ailment and you need to translate properly or else it's, it can be catastrophic. So th- that makes a lot of sense. Now I heard you mention AI more than once. Um, it's all over the news, of course, chat GPT. I mean, I've been using it daily. It's kind of changed my life. How do you see the role of humans in the era of AI or machine translation, language processing, those types of things? Where do you see, where do you see it now? Where do you see it going? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's certainly better than it was five years ago. It's better than it was a year ago. And in, in a year or even six months, who knows where, where things are going to be. It's changing so quickly. Yeah. But there's always going to be room for a human. And I hope that in 10 years, you're not coming back and saying, Jill, you said there's always going to be room for a human and there's, we're completely human free now. I um, am but, a robot. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, um, there, the human, connection with the client to understand what the needs are with the linguist or the technology. You have to understand, is this a candidate for AI? Is a human necessary? What addition, what might we be losing? What might be, we be gaining if we go in a diff- number of different routes? So you need to understand what the client's goals are and figure out the best way to get to that end goal. So certainly there are needs, uh, there are uses for machine translation for internal purposes, um, for large volumes of content, for super fast deadlines. But when, when you're really trying to capture a brand and nuance and you think about how much time you spend writing a brochure or a website it's you don't want to just turn it over to a native speaker who is untrusted uh, or untested or just trust that the machine's going to get it and not make mistakes and not miss out on on who you are and what you're trying to to convey yeah and you, and you brought up a couple points there that you know makes me realize that we as tech people as me me included uh, we are now prompt engineers really is what we are. We, we, we are the ones crafting the questions and the prompts that these, whether it's art or text, uh, we're creating. We have to practice and practice and refine how we talk to the AI because in the end, it is just a tool mm-hmm. like any other tool and you need to learn how to use it. And 99% of the world does not know how to use it. They think just by posting a selfie on some app and then they get back something that's, Oh, I did AI, but that's not really how it works, right? You got to, <laughs> Really learn how to use it. So I, I appreciate that. So let's, um, let's kind of finish off things with, um, the big, 
picture here, like understanding your audience so that you're able to connect with them in authentic ways. And what are like, I guess, like the top three tips on that? Yeah. I mean, understanding who your audience is. Sometimes a client will come to us and they say that we're, we're looking to do work in, in this country, but this country happens to have a number of different languages that are spoken. So understanding who are you trying to target so we can make sure we have the right, the right linguists and the right team working, um, working on that. Um, really wanting to take the time to, um, connect with them in ways that matter. We do a lot of market research work. Um, so survey okay. translation or focus group transcription. Um, so much is between the words and how things are said and, um, not just what is said. And so having a native speaker who, who can, who is trained, a translator or a professional researcher, a multilingual researcher who can listen for insights that might get lost if you're just looking at a surface level. Um, and then I would say having a partner, um, hmm. not just Googling you know, Spanish translation agency, submitting three quotes and going with the one that's a penny cheaper. Um, oh. Translation is not just a transaction. It's about relationship. And so finding a company that you feel good about that understands you and what you're trying to work toward um, helps be flexible and scalable as you're developing the right workflows and is invested in your success, I think makes all the difference. Yeah, because it sounds like if if you just hire some agency that you find online, they might even just be using some sort of translation tool to just get you out the door and and make as much money as they can versus, like you just said, someone who cares enough that says, well, you know, this is the translation, but there's not enough emphasis on this or there's no feeling, there's no emotion, there's no, uh, you know personality mm-hmm. in this it's it's you know so is that is that what you're talking about like yeah. putting, a, put, putting like a human touch that really Absolutely. matters yeah the personality where it matters and it's of course it's nice to work with people that are nice and friendly but it, even beyond that but somebody that you can trust who instills confidence and who's who's got your back and who is accountable where you know we are we are human and mistakes do happen and sometimes you're going to need to come back and say Actually, some internal reviewers looked at this language and we prefer this terminology or this style or the translator misunderstood. And can you please update it? You know, you want somebody who's going to be around to be accountable, to note that and make sure that that information gets saved into our system so that six months from now, when you come with a new translation, that style is already locked in. We already know what your terminology is. There are lots of preferences that can be um, documented through our technology. Sounds like you guys are like basically becoming part of the team, like learning the vision of the company, learning the brand, learning all of the messaging and really kind of integrating yourself in there so that you don't have to keep asking for help. You already know what they need. It's just yeah. a matter of doing it the right way. Absolutely. So where can, where can people find out more about you guys and uh, potentially use your services? Wonderful. Great. Well, thank you so much, Jason. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And so where can people find out more about what you guys do and um, any like socials or websites that you want them to go to? Um, multilingualconnections.com. Um, and you can find us on LinkedIn, Multilingual Connections, Facebook, Instagram, uh, and a touch of Twitter every once in a while. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jill. That was awesome. Muchas gracias a todos los que hablan español. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you learned something today, please support this podcast by subscribing to it, sharing it with your friends, and leaving a five-star review. You can learn more about me at jasonsherman.org where you'll find information about my book, also called Strap on Your Boots, available on Amazon, as well as my course called Startup Essentials on Udemy or Skillshare. I'll see you at next week's episode.